From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And good day. Thanks for joining us. Hope you had a terrific weekend. I know I did. I feel very relaxed today. I actually took my own advice and I had a day off. It was very hard when you're self-employed. It's very difficult to drag yourself away from stuff that you need to do, but it really is worth it. And you feel very refreshed come Monday, as I'm sure many of you know. A big thank you to Chris Smith. And uh, this hour, we've got some terrific guests coming up for you, including uh, the Aussie Cossack, Simeon Boykov. We're going to be joined by Bernie Finn, ex-Liberal MP. We're going to talk about some very uh, uh, dubious, suspect, if you will, um, situations when it comes to the building and transport uh, industry down in Victoria and some links to possibly some links, we should say, to some underworld figures. We'll be talking to him about that a little bit later. We're going to be talking to Dee McLaughlin, who is the author of book, The Child Protection Racket. And that's just this hour and a lot more uh, in the subsequent hour as well. And of course, imminently, we'll have the wonderful Gemma Cooper coming up also in the second hour. I'm going to be talking at length about something I'm going to talk about right now as well. And it's um, cancer vaccines. Wow. You're probably thinking, terrific. Great. Yeah. Until you realise that they are mRNA based, in which case you might start thinking, ooh, like I did. What's very funny is that uh, they're very they're very proud to tout the fact that some of these will actually be made here in Australia, believe it or not. Yes, uh, they're going to be making some of these here in uh, Australia. They've got some plants that are going to be able to pump out millions of uh, mRNA vaccines of different types. And apparently with this cancer vaccine, it's tailored to whatever type of cancer you have and specifically to how aggressive that particular cancer is. So it's very interesting. And um, they're basing it in the trial because apparently uh, the prevention of cancer recurrence was found in later stages of the phase two trial to be up to 49%. So that does sound terrific. I have to admit, when you hear it on face value, it does sound terrific. But they also said that they based on this on the tremendous success of the COVID mRNA vaccine. And I'm wondering where they've been for the last three years, because the last time I checked, it wasn't so safe and it certainly wasn't effective at all but they're basing it on the success, their words, not mine, of that particular mRNA vaccine. I think it's absolutely horrific <laughs> what's happened over the last three years. Uh, Dr. Robert Malone himself, you know, one of the three, if you will, inventors of the mRNA technology, and he's no fan of it. So why should you be? And we all know somebody who's not doing quite as well as they probably would be had we had a different three years, had we not been subjected to mandates, had we not been subjected to tyranny and threats, and wouldn't that be absolutely terrific? We live in hope, and that's about all we can do when it comes to these things. But uh, I'll just read you a bit of it. The world's first, first cancer vaccine. And by the way, I don't know if you can call it a vaccine because, again, mRNA, the way it works, isn't really a vaccine. We, we've discussed this before a vaccine, like a you know a, a monovalent or a bivalent one, is where you are introduced with a weakened form of the virus they wish to pretend, uh, prevent you from getting. That's what an actual one is. But uh, these things uh, modify your RNA, and of course, if you have DNA contamination in that, that can do even worse. And we have had evidence and spoken to many experts who suggest that that may have well been the case. And depending on which country you are dealing with or which um, 
expert you're talking to, uh, the amount of safe DNA that you could find in a mRNA vaccine, and I do use that word uh, very loosely again, um, varies, many suggesting, the better people suggesting that the safe level is, wait for it, you guessed it, absolutely zero. And I would suggest if I was going to get one of those, I would love for that to be zero as well. Now, this cancer vaccine, it's been developed by good old Moderna. Isn't that terrific? A name you can trust. Uh, yep, they're now moving on to phase three studies. Um, and the phase two study, according to them, stunning results. I don't know if 49% is stunning. And again, whilst it may or may not have prevented up, up to 49% of uh, cancers from returning or getting worse, you have to ask yourself as well, are they trialling for side effects and the rest? And we can only hope that that is the case. The new data shows uh, that among the patients, the resected high risk, that stage three or four melanoma, adjuvant treatment with the vaccine in combination with Keytruda, uh, continued to demonstrate a clinically mean, meaningful improvement in recurrence-free survival for as long as a whopping three years. So you be the judge, but we'll be talking in the second hour about that to somebody who knows their stuff. And I'd love to hear it because, I mean, we're all, we all live in hope. How many times have you seen the front page of the paper? And I remember not that many years ago um, hearing that Israel had developed uh, a cure for cancer. Front page of the papers. What happened to that? You know, Dr. Brzezinski over in the United States has a, a clinic still going. As far as I know, he's been curing cancer legit, legit. For decades, and that's what, exactly why when you're looking saying, why haven't I heard of him? Well, that's exactly why, because he has been, and he's been doing it effectively with certain, not all, types of cancer, and uh, you should Google him. Dr. Brzezinski, he's got a clinic, and I think he's absolutely terrific. In fact, it would be wonderful. I don't know if he's still practicing himself or whether he has others doing that work in his clinic, but uh, we'll see if we can get him or whoever's running that clinic or one of the doctors at that particular clinic. We'll see if we can get them on at some point. I think that would make a terrific uh, interview. I think that would be great. At TNT Radio, we never go home. We're committed to bringing you our take on the biggest topics of our time. We broadcast live 24-7 online globally, no matter what, and we've got you covered here at TNT Radio. Giving you what you want. I want the fact. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, it's that time of day where, or, or, or evening, depending on where you are, where we get to talk to the wonderful Gemma Cooper, but she's a bit crook today, and I'm, I, I want to pass you a tissue, a virtual tissue or something. How are, how are we, Jim? Yeah, that's a good Aussie word, isn't it? A bit crook. I'm a bit crook, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I picked something up. Well, this is the thing. This is the debate, isn't it? Interesting you're talking about vaccines there. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not feeling my best, right? I got something in my nose and in my throat and in my body, achy, sweaty, sneezing, coughing, right? Three years ago, this would have been a, get her a ventilator, put her on a ventilator. Do you know what I mean? This would have <laughs> yeah, been a moral yes. panic. Get yeah, the you know, been, out, yeah. Absolutely. It would have been hysteria. Get her out, get her out, isolate, isolate, get her in a tent, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, and I was thinking to myself, wow, why have I got ill? Did I pick something up? Did I pick something up? I went to the World Council for Health end of year Christmas gathering last Thursday in Bath. So I was, and we'll, we'll get onto the World Council for Health in a minute because that's the story I want to talk about this morning. It's very important. So I was thinking, oh, maybe I picked something up at this gathering, you know? And then I thought about all the kind of research I've done into 
viruses, you know, over the last three and a half years and all the stuff I've read. And I thought, no, maybe it is what I've read about and say the great book, you know, What Really Makes You Ill by Dawn Lester and David Parker um, about your own body undergoing a detox process when it's had enough. And I thought, is that what's happening to me? Because I've been eating, it's coming up to Christmas, it's winter, I've been eating loads of mince pies, I've been eating a lot more chocolate than I know. Well, I never normally eat chocolate, but I've been eating the odd truffle here and there and mince pies have been going down like there's no tomorrow. And I thought, is this my body simply saying, detox from all the crap you've been eating, Gem, get back to eating proper vegetables, you know? And I'm wondering if it's that, and I haven't picked something up and there is no external thing invading my body. It's my own body talking to me and saying, we don't like all the stuff you're putting into you, Gem. It's up for debate. And I know people in the chat and the TNT chat will have their own ideas about what really makes you ill. But I did wonder that. Have I picked something up or is this my own internal cleansing process right before the winter period? So that's where I'm sitting with this this morning. Well, I mean, when you were telling me that, it sounds to me like you're convinced that that is the case. And you've almost convinced me. It probably is. Uh, when your body's used to you know, eating healthy food, then you bombard it with all of this rubbish. It is in a weakened state and you're more susceptible to all of these other things that happen. I mean, some people suggest that, you know, the flu is it's a, a lack of certain vitamins. In, in summer, we get all these terrific vitamins. We're outdoors and we get vitamin D. We get all this stuff that we need because we're outdoors. In winter, we tend to lock ourselves in. We rob ourselves, our bodies, of certain nutrients and vitamins. And as a result, the cold or the flu some people say, I'm not saying this is the case, but it could be true, um, that it, that's your body just being a bit weaker, you know, having a bit of a tantrum, craving these things that we normally have, and that could well be the case. And it rings true when you hear it, doesn't it? It does indeed. And I just think back to how many people I know that do get ill at the change of the seasons. And, I, and my brother, actually, he's a classic one. When it comes in, he says, I always get ill when it goes from winter to spring, spring to summer. He said, I don't know what's wrong. But actually, when you look at um, a lot of research that's been done into the human body, that kind of getting ill at the change of the seasons is your body cleansing itself from the previous season, getting ready for the next season and adapting to its external environment. It does make perfect sense. We are supposed to live in harmony with nature, not, not battling nature all the time. And the body is such a wise instrument. It doesn't mean I'm going to lay off the mince pies. <laughs> I have to say, I do love a good mince pie over the Christmas period, but maybe not quite as many as I have been scoffing, <laughs> Dean. You know, my body's definitely given me a little bit of a a, a nudge. <laughs> maybe it's, I need to go for a walk. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, sometimes the one part of the body being out of whack can do you a favour. I mean, I had a, a, a missing back tooth and I was going to get an implant done. And I kept putting it off and putting it off because, you know, the idea of having a you know, metal implant put into my jaw was something I'd rather not do, but I needed to do. And as a result, having one there and one there, I couldn't chew. So I prevented eating chocolates and lollies and, you know, tough steak and maybe some pork crackling, which I love to chew on. And um, I lost a lot of weight and I didn't realise I'd lost seven kilos and kept it off for a year and a half up until I had that dental work done. So now I can chomp away on a on a pair of handcuffs, if you will, and <laughs> I've got these super teeth at the back, these titanium teeth. And as a result of that, I've put on five kilos in three months because I can eat different food that I otherwise wouldn't have eaten. So sometimes it's good to have something that prevents you from maybe getting into old habits, uh, possibly. I don't know. Very possibly. But anyway, enough of my internal workings and my, my crookness. Um, the good news today is that just talking about the World Council for Health there, um, there's going to be a debate, a parliamentary debate here in the UK at 4.30pm our time, which means it'd be probably nighttime. Yeah, it'd be in the nighttime where you are. But it's very, very significant. And it's all been secured by the World Council for Health. The debate is on 
World Health Organization's international health uh, health regulation amendments to this, you know, they want to bring in this pandemic treaty. So it doesn't yep. just affect the UK, it's the whole world. Um, but Dr. Tess Laurie, who's the um, nominal kind of head, but World Council of Health doesn't really work like that, but she's kind of like the figurehead of the World Council for Health. It is a team effort. She started a petition uh, earlier in the year um, to get this debated in the House of Commons. And it did reach the magical 100,000 signature mark quite quickly, I have to say. Nice. Um, and it's going to, yeah, absolutely. So it's going to be debated uh, today. Uh, they're urging people, the World Council for Health, to go down to the Houses of Parliament. If you're in London, you're doing a bit of Christmas shopping, you can go into the public gallery in the House of Commons. And they're also urging people to join them in Parliament Square as the debate gets underway. I mean, of course, it's massively significant because should this uh, these amendments get through, then the World Health Organization with the pandemic treaty will decide global policy uh, should another pandemic come in, which you kind of think it will, because otherwise, why would they be bringing in a pandemic yeah. treaty? Yep. Uh, the whole thing is obviously so orchestrated. Um, and so the, the World Council for Health is urging for as much public support as possible. I was talking to Dr. Tess Laurie about this last Thursday when I went to their end of year Christmas gathering. And she said, you know, she's delighted that the debate has been secured. But she did explain to me how the parliamentary debates actually work. Essentially, all the information is handed to a nominated MP who may may or may not know the subject matter, who may or may not be on board with the subject matter. They're just tasked with standing up in the commons and bringing this to the public arena. You know, it's not given to the person who began the petition to get the debate going because that can't happen. It has to be an MP, but you don't get to decide who the MP is. You get to brief them, but that doesn't mean you necessarily get to steer them in, in the right direction if they don't agree. Um, so it's going to be quite interesting to see what happens with this debate this afternoon. We're hoping to maybe on the Freeman report later get Dr. Tesslory on the phone, but certainly I think tomorrow we'll have a kind of better idea of where the debate went and the kind of reaction it had in the Commons. But it's the World Council for Health. They're based in Bath here in the UK, but they're, they're, they're expanding all over the world. Now there are World Councils for health in every country. Um, they're devolving, they're, they're giving sovereignty back to countries, take back control of our health, move away from these global organisations. Um, they've got this debate. Let's hope it's successful. If you are in London, not, uh, nip along at half past four UK time to the House of Commons. You can go into the public gallery and give them all the support that you can. It's really brilliant that this has come to the table right before yeah. Christmas. And I think it would be terrific if you do, because if they've got your support there in the venue, um, they're going to push it even harder. The other thing that I am, call me paranoid, if you will, but when it comes to those of us, and there were many, I, I would say 30, 35%, they would have us believe we're only in the 5% or 4% here in Australia who abstained, who didn't, who had no intention of ever getting that particular mRNA vaccine. Uh, as per the old adage, no stone unturned, I cannot help but think the WHO is absolutely wanting to get some mRNA into everybody who abstained. From that uh, through whichever means they see fit. So uh, Tess Laurie, I hope she does terrifically well. I hope that the politicians argue this to a great extent and I, I hope that that catches on worldwide because we certainly don't want any part of the WHO here in Australia or anywhere else um, that's full of people that we care about. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, these, the tentacles of the WHO, they're really determined to push this through and it will take away the sovereignty of every nation. It's interesting that governments are saying, oh, no, no, because a lot of people have written to their MPs in this country about this and they get the standard response, you know, oh, the WHO pandemic treaty won't take away um, government policy in each country. And you're, you're thinking, well, why have it then? Why have it? <laughs> 
Yeah. It was yeah. the, you know, it's either, either it is or it isn't. So hopefully these issues will be raised this afternoon in Parliament and it will go on to Hansard, the official historical record of everything that's talked about in the Commons. So at least it'll be there for, for public discourse and public debate. That's the main thing. Well, Gemma, I look forward to talking to you tomorrow about that. And of course, next hour, we'll talk about something else. In the meanwhile, uh, you know, have have some chicken soup. That's always uh, it's a good thing when you're feeling a little bit under the weather, or as we like to say down here, a tad crook. Uh, that's Gemma Cooper, everybody. We'll be back after this break with the Aussie Cossack here at TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Kate Shamarani. Don't stop taking prescription medication. Always go and see your indoctrinated GP, always. But with psychiatric drugs, you have to actually wean off them. They're very addictive and you have to wean off them. Now, I find all this really concerning. But what I cannot get my head around is the worst drug of all. They just let it on the market all the time. Sugar, 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 sugar. And then that's not even to bring in like MSG, monosodium glutamate. And and I, if I, I can say you know you go into one of these garages and you see all the people going for food there's nothing to eat in there i very rarely can find anything to eat in any of these places and if you go into the supermarket there's only the first two aisles that have got real food the rest it's not food and i see what people buy i've covertly actually filmed people's trolleys not them don't get all excited but i have filmed trolleys uh, to have a look what people are buying and it's shocking because what you eat determines what your brain's going to be like and your teenagers brains do not stop developing till they're about 25 years of age kate shamarani on tnt radio as a combat wounded veteran i know how hard it is to come home and build a meaningful life when i was in iraq Our vehicle was hit. A rocket propelled grenade exploded right under my seat. Traumatic brain injury, a fractured pelvis, severe burns. They didn't think I was gonna make it. I had to learn to walk again and live with the scars, both visible and invisible. DAV helps veterans like LaToya get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. With DAV on my side, I was able to pursue my dreams. If my story can touch a heart, it can change a life. My victory is overcoming my wounds so I can help other veterans. LaToya Lucas, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. I want to say this, and I'm going to say it just once. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And my next guest isn't just a guest, he's a co-presenter here and a national celebrity, if you will. His name's Simeon Boykov, a.k.a. the Aussie Cossack. And as we do each afternoon or morning, depending on where you are in the world, we welcome him to the program. Hey, Simeon, how are you going? Dean, pleasure to be with you. Very worrying news today. The United States has declared that it's deploying another 700 soldiers to Western Australia, but that's not uh, all that's wrong with the situation, they are bringing with them radioactive waste. Uh, this is an outrage. Every Australian patriot should be outraged. And where are all the Indigenous advocacy bodies that were saying, let's give the Indigenous more rights and vote? Yes, this is where they should be standing Good up. Point. Yeah. I mean, Garden Island is just off Perth's coast. So if you're from Perth or Western Australia, you would know it's a beautiful island, 10 kilometres long, 1.5 kilometres wide. And there's a bridge that was built in, in the 70s, a causeway that links the island to the mainland just outside Perth. Now it's on this island where the Royal Australian Navy's largest uh, fleet base, uh, also known as uh, HMAS Stirling, is located. And this is the proposed site 
where the American government, the US military, are going to have 700 extra American personnel living there. There's no direct reason. This is the Indian Ocean. The closest potential adversary is India, Sri Lanka, or Madagascar. I don't know what the reason is, uh, but it looks like another step to the occupation of Australia by the US military. Uh, as I said, the low-level radioactive waste management facility, which the government claimed it's called, is being planned. You like how they make it look nice and, oh, low-level radioactive waste management. Let's just call a spade a spade. They're dumping nuclear waste, and that's because they've got their uh, nuclear submarines on the way uh, that are going to be based at the Submarine Rotational Force. Uh, they will be hosting Royal Navy Astute Class and U.S. Navy Virginia Class submarines from 20. 27 as part of the AUKUS deal. So there is nothing good about this at all. Uh, I don't think that uh, the Australian government has Australia's interests at hand in this situation. Uh, there are so many already nuclear waste sites that the colonial powers, the English, the Americans have spread all around the country. Uh, let's just give you a few, for example, where they have spread their nuclear radiation at all sorts of different bases and nuclear radiation sites. I think it's worth a mention just for our listeners to appreciate the scope of how Australia is already inundated with all sorts of waste. Their uh, main main concern is, of course, uh, nuclear weapons testing sites, the Montebello Islands, Maralinga site, Emu Field, their uranium deposits uh, at Willina, Westmoreland, Valhalla, Samphire, Oban, Nolans, Bohr, Mulga Rocks, uh, Lake Maitland, uh, Bell Lembond, uh, Angela Pamela, their proposed nuclear waste sites are coming up at Flinders Rains and Van Diuta. Uh, there are former waste dumping sites at Pangaea, which is a uh, form, former proposed high-level nuclear waste dump, and uranium mines at Woomera, uh, Rum Jungle, Radium Hill, Port Piri, Nabalak, Mount Painter, Mount G, Mary Kathleen, Kungara, Jabaluka, Hunters Hill, uh, irradiation plants, the list goes on, and military communications, spy bases, and nuclear ship ports at Shoalwater Bay, at Robertson Barracks, at Pine Gap, uh, Kojina, Harold Holt Communication Station, Fremantle, Darwin. Uh, it is a shocking list, and it's shocking that this is going to grow, now expand. They think that's not enough. They want to insert and dump more waste uh, on this beautiful country that we call home. Uh, the Americans need to buzz off. Everywhere they go, they bring uh, destruction, death, uh, controversy, war, uh, and nuclear radiation. We seriously do not need this, and we don't want it. And again, it's a call out today to the Aboriginal bodies. Uh, there's either two things that's occurred here. Either they have been paid off, the land councils that are allowing this, or they have been hoodwinked. I don't think any Indigenous elder, auntie, uncle, or community advocate would consciously allow, voluntarily allow the displacement of nuclear radiation waste on their Indigenous land. So you want to talk about the voice, you want to talk about Aboriginal land rights, well, the question goes back to the Albanese government. If you care about the Indigenous, why are you poisoning their land, that's what you call it, with nuclear radiation from the Americans? 
made a perfect point that you make, and it would be terrific if either you or myself uh, got some of the Indigenous leaders out that way to find out why they have been so quiet. They were very vocal uh, leading up to the referendum, but now something far more important. I mean, here they were over in WA proposing that should you wish to dig a hole to, let's say, put a fence post in, you were going to have to get some permission. Here they are dumping nuclear waste into our country. Of course, if that gets loose, you know, the and the right weather conditions, that's going to affect people far outside of those areas and these Indigenous people and ourselves should be outraged. The AUKUS deal, we are very much the poor cousin. We are doing not very well from it. And basically, we're going to get ripped off on submarines. And on top of that, we're going to be uh, America's uh, uh, waste disposal unit. That's what our country has become. And the sooner we get out of that deal, if we can, probably can't, but if we can, the better. Oh, the, wor the worst thing about this is, uh, as you say, the deal is uh, heavily in the Americans' favour. This new base where they're going to dump radiation, radiation, it's called an American Submarine Industrial Base, we're paying for it to the tune of another $3.4 billion, right? Unbelievable that Australia has to keep coughing up money and we haven't seen any submarines. We haven't seen anything of significance uh, for decades. It's just a uh, way to extract wealth, to transfer wealth from Australia to the United States military industrial complex. And people uh, are absolutely uh, crazy if they think this is a good idea. Uh, apparently, this is to counter the Chinese Communist Party's threat and influence in the Pacific. That's the uh, official reason that the Australian and United States government is doing all of this. Well, this submarine base is in the Indian Ocean in Perth on Garden Island. I don't really think the Chinese even care. And if anything, if the Chinese were so terrible and bad, they're probably sitting back and be laughing and saying, oh, how good is that? We don't even have to send nuclear weapons there. We don't have to poison Australia because the <laughs> Americans are doing it for us. Yeah, mate, mate, the job is done. And, of course, we would never have been considered to be a nuclear target if we didn't have uh, nuclear subs here. Of course, we'll get the first one in 2034, but that'll just be on loan. And then by the time we get ones that we can truly call our own, secondhand pieces of rubbish that have been refurbished, um, I'm sure someone in China will have invented a, a drone for $50,000 that'll take it out in about five seconds. That's our future, and the grandkids will be paying that off for uh, forever and ever. Simeon Boykov, a.k.a. the Aussie Kozak, mate, always a pleasure to have you on the program and look forward to doing it again tomorrow. Speak to you then, Dean. Absolute legend. And speaking of legends, we're going to talk to ex-Liberal MP Bernie Finn right here at TNT after this. Okay, everybody, listen up. Big news. Big news. For real big news. Here we go. Now, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. There was a security scare in the US Sunday night as a car crashed into Joe Biden's presidential motorcade. A wild sex tape scandal has rocked Capitol Hill with the explicit footage leaked online. Harrowing footage has emerged showing the moment a member of Ukraine's parliament blew up a council meeting. Elon Musk has taken another swipe at Disney. And Israel has admitted killing three of its own hostages in Gaza. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Oh, I just love... Love Elon Musk more and more every time I hear about him. He's saying something that I think is wonderful. And as the world's richest man, you need to bow to nobody. When your advertisers get a bit too woke, you can tell them to go and, you know, what themselves. And he does it. He can. He doesn't need their money. In fact, I would suggest, Elon Musk, what you need to do is pick the worst of them, let's say Disney, buy the company, the public company, 
So off, get a good price, buy the company, sack everybody there, turn it into something that's profitable, and of course, put them all out on their backside. And the next time another group does it, go and buy them, get rid of all them, put them out on their backside, because when you're that rich, you can do it and you can improve the world at the same time, getting rid of one woke bit of nonsense at a time. I think that would be absolutely phenomenal. Imminently, we will be talking, of course, to one of my regular guests, Bernie Finn, a former Liberal Party MP, the guy who advocated for unborn children. And so, so what do they do? They kick him out of the Liberal Party, advocates for unborn babies. What a terrific guy. But the Liberal Party, we're not having that. But I'll tell you what, I'll certainly have him on the program every time. Uh, I consider him a mate and certainly a co-commentator, X3AW, before he did, uh, in fact, many stations, including, I think, 2UW in Sydney, a legend of the airwaves and of the political spectrum. We welcome to the program, Bernie Finn. How are you, mate? G'day, Dean. How's it going, mate? Mate, always an absolute pleasure to talk to you, my friend. One day when you're, you're down in New South Wales, we're going to have to get you on live. It would be absolutely yeah, terrific right. to do a live absolutely show with you. Mate, well, we'll have to do that. Mate, now, lots going on down in Victoria, and uh, I am talking about now, it, it's apparently not his company, not Mick Gatto's company, but his daughter may have <laughs> purchased a particular company for them. Now, this company is doing okay. It all ties in with um, a lot of the new Victorian requirements of Indigenous labour hire. It all sounds a little bit racist to me, by the way. And of course, if you have a company or you want to start a company and you know somebody that's Indigenous and you get them on board and therefore have 50% ownership in that country by an Indigenous individual, you're pretty much good to go. And uh, it may not be your company, it could be your daughter's company that you sold them. But of course, if you have links to the unions, you have some pull with someone high up in the unions, there are always questions to be asked. Is that, am I not in the ballpark there? Well, I think, I think, look, Dean, I think you absolutely are more than in the ballpark because, quite frankly, uh, this all this Indigenous stuff uh, is um, is highly questionable in my view. Uh, I think, you know, particularly given that uh, you don't actually have to be Indigenous um, to, to gain some of these benefits. You just have to say you're Indigenous. Yeah. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, I am Indigenous. I was born here. I was born here. My, my parents were born here. My great grand, my, my grandparents rather were born here. Um, I'm, I'm as Indigenous as all get out. Uh, so I don't understand why I don't get the same benefits that some other people do whose um, grand, great grandparents might have been Aboriginal. Uh, I, I, I just don't understand all this at all. As, as for the Gattos, well, you know, it's, it's amazing. The Gattos have. Um, the, the, the Midas touch when it comes to a lot of things. Uh, they, whatever, whatever they touch turns to gold. Uh, <laughs> and uh, anybody who questions that uh, could find themselves in a lot of trouble. Uh, and, I for one, and I, for one, am not going to start doing that. <laughs> I've got to tell you. <laughs> I, I was going to say, mate, now being a, a former Victorian politician, I'm sure you, at some point you may have run into this particular individual. Did that ever happen? Is a, a legend um, in Victoria. Um, if if you, you extend the the definition of the word legend, uh, he um, he actually uh, bought a, a, a or part owned a restaurant uh, just down from Parliament House. And uh, when we'd go down, or when I'd go down to down Burke Street, um, past this particular restaurant, Mick would be at the front smoking the biggest cigar you have ever <laughs> seen in your life, and 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 staring at you. And, and, he, and he used to stare at me, and I could feel his eyes uh, actually drilling through the front of my head and, and out the back. 
Uh, and it was, um, I, I, I don't think the restaurant actually ever recovered from it. It's closed since, uh, but, but because Mick would sit out the front and people would decide that they really weren't all that hungry after all. Uh, and, they would, and, they, and they'd go to Macca's or they'd go to KFC or somewhere. Uh, but uh, I, I think the, the, uh, the, um, the other owner uh, of the restaurant actually uh, indicated to Mick uh, at some point that really his, his presence out the front of the restaurant uh, was not doing business a great deal of good. Uh, but uh, I, that, that's, that's the only, um, the only uh, time that I've ever had uh, any uh, even distant um, dealings with, with Mick. Uh, Mick, uh, Mick Gatto and I do not, uh, do not um, mix in the same social uh, circles, uh, but that's not to say some other politicians might not mix in those sort of, sorts of circles. Uh, and uh, there's, there's one former politician now um, who was connected, um, whether it be true or otherwise, I am in no position to know, but connected via rumour with any number, any number of people who uh, may have um, interesting backgrounds, could I, could I say. Uh, could be that in, in Sydney, they would be uh, colourful racing identities. Uh, in Melbourne, I'm not exactly sure what they would be, but they'd certainly be interesting. They'd certainly have interesting backgrounds. Um, and uh, this, this politician, um, uh, as I say, I don't, I don't know uh, whether he um, actually had these connections, but if half of them were true... Um, he, he too had a very interesting background. It, it is amazing how many people are connected with the uh, with the unions, and so many of them have uh, businesses that are, let's just say, apparently legitimate, and many of them are to do with, um, let's just say, settling disputes. That is their official yes. title. <laughs> and very easy to settle a dispute when you have somewhat of a particular reputation, as it were. Um, I think I told you this afternoon off air, I said uh, I did a, a website many years ago for a well-known, um, uh, let's just say, criminal individual, uh, very well-known, very intelligent man too, I must say. He actually got himself off the hook for everything that he'd ever been accused of, or certainly some of the more important things. And uh, we did a website for him because he was a friend of a friend. And at the end of the day, he, when he asked how much did, did he owe me, She'll be right. I wasn't going to take a, a cent because I didn't want to get that stare that you described that uh, penetrated the, the back <laughs> of the head. But mate, certainly when it comes to this particular, you know, uh, thing that we're talking about, $222 million Victorian government road upgrade pro, uh, project. And his daughter, uh, mate, she did a, a video, you know, like a, a social media video, basically mm -hmm. boasting of it. And of course, the Australian Financial Review got a, got a hold of it and uh, raised some concerns about who actually owned the firm. That video was very, very quickly pulled from social media. Why? I'll bet it was. I'll bet it was. And I, I've got to say to you, Dean, that the connections in Victoria are absolutely crucial to, to business. And, and the former Premier in particular uh, made use of that very extensively, um, he made, made it known um, either directly or indirectly that anybody who went against him would not be getting any, um, any um, uh, largesse from the government, could I say. It would, would not be doing business with the government. Uh, and a lot of people were intimidated into, into silence, uh, and I think we're all regretting that now. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it has been a pretty, a pretty hairy place uh, in Victoria over the past 10 years or so. Uh, we, we've, we've seen things happening that uh, we've never seen before. 
Um, what uh, the new Premier will be like, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, given that she, um, she came from the same school uh, of, uh, of politics as Daniel Andrews, uh, I fear that uh, we might not see all that much change, which would be, be, would very... be rather sad. It'll be very interesting. You know the old saying, seven degrees of separation? And for those who don't know what that mm. means, basically, like, think of anyone in the world, you know, Barack Obama, for example. You'll know someone who knows someone, we're talking on a personal level, who knows somebody, and you'd only have to go seven steps before you know somebody who would know him. That is uh, apparently a thing. I don't know, I've never really tried it, but apparently everyone knows someone who knows someone. Get up to seven people and they know the person you are thinking of. And that being the case, I would suggest it's about two or three degrees of separation when it comes to big business and, and shocky deals down in Victoria. Absolutely tied up together. If you go two or three degrees of separation, you're probably exaggerating just a tad because these, <laughs> things, these things were side by side. I mean, they were, they were the best of buddies. They were drinking partners. Uh, and that's, uh, that's something that uh, I think a lot of people are very worried about and have been worried about. Um, for quite some time, but that 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 was the the culture um, that Victoria had uh, under the under the Andrews government, um, and uh, it's something that uh, we hope we hope and pray will go away. But I doubt if it will, uh, unless we get a, a new government which will actually get rid of it. And uh, you know, I, I just I just cannot understand um, how anybody can look at what's happened in Victoria over the last decade and say that's fine. I just can't understand how anybody can say, "Yeah, that's good. We'll we'll put up with that. We'll do that," uh, you know, because it's it's been it's to my way of thinking, it has been horrifying, uh, and um, there there will be, uh, in my view, in in one particular instance, um, on on the the Westgate Tunnel, um, I chaired a committee which investigated the Westgate Tunnel project uh, uh, some years ago, uh, and I came to the view that there would be people um, who. Uh, we had uh, investigated and people that refused to be investigated who would go to jail um, as a result of, of that particular project. Uh, and I, I'm sickened by that. I, I think that will happen at some stage. But that just goes to show uh, how, how close government and, and big business in particular was. Uh, small business, they didn't worry about them. Uh, and they still don't worry about them, I have to say. But, but certainly uh, big government, big business, big unions, they ran the show. And, and still do run the show um, in um, in Victoria, and that's uh, uh, to my way of thinking uh, not not a good thing for Victorians or anybody else. No, it tells you a lot about not just the media but the politicians uh, and the state of the party in power when this stuff is so out in the open, yet blind eyes are turned all around. Um, mm. I mean, they went and questioned a whole bunch of these Indigenous hire labour companies uh, as to how much, let's say, coercion there may or may not have been from the CF, uh, CMFEU. And of course, mm. none of them wanted to speak because they either were too scared that there might be some sort of either official or non-official, if you were, um, interactions as a result of speaking up. Yeah, well, it's rather interesting. A project that I've often referred to um, uh, publicly uh, just up the road from, from where I live, uh, and it's, it's a, it's a multi-hundred uh, million dollar uh, uh, project, uh, and that is that is being uh, handled by a, an indigenous um, uh, project uh, company uh, as well. Uh, and uh, I, I, I look, I I know that uh, it's a good thing that that um, um, Aboriginal Australians are, are looking after themselves and getting up and working and all sort of thing. But I've got to wonder um, if people are being uh, discriminated in favour uh, because of the of the colour of their skin. Um, and that 
that that mate, that's racism. Uh, you know, you, if 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 you are discriminated for or against on the basis of the colour of your skin, that is racism. Uh, and that's that's why we we threw out the um, uh, the the uh, the referendum. You know, a couple of months ago. You know, because people accepted and acknowledged that the whole thing was based on racism. Uh, and unfortunately, um, this this whole Aboriginal industry uh, is is incredibly racist, uh, and uh, we, we're seeing that in all manner of, of things. And it's just uh, I, I, I find it quite horrifying, particularly now, as even after uh, we we threw out the referendum, the the voice was defeated so overwhelmingly. Um, governments, state and federal, are, are, are just sailing ahead. Uh, with, without a concern for what the people have said, they, they, they've made up their mind as to what they want to do, and they're going to do it. And you know, and we're seeing it in South Australia, uh, we're seeing it in Victoria, uh, we're seeing it in, in WA. Uh, you know, these governments uh, have said, "Well, screw the people. We don't care what you say. We're going to do what we want to do anyway." Uh, and that, that's a my way of thinking is con- is contempt for the people of Australia. It's contempt for democracy. And uh, you know, it, it, governments who do this should not be allowed to get away with it. Bernie Finn, I could not agree more. Sadly, mate, we are out of time. I thank you, as always, for coming on the program, and hopefully we'll do it again very soon. Well, Dean, I hope so, and could I wish you and your listeners a very, very uh, happy, merry, joyous and safe Christmas, and look forward to uh, to catching up again in, in uh, 24. Right, and uh, ditto to you. Thank you, Bernie Finn. Uh, coming up after the break, we're going to be talking to filmer, author, advocate for children's rights, Dee McLaughlin, right here at TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. There are big changes going on in the overall global weather pattern over the next 15 to 20 days, exactly opposite of what happened last year. The United States overall is going to become a big focal point for winter weather. Europe also, again, once we get past this transition from the 20th through the 30th. So Europe is warmed up, but a lot of cold is coming, it looks to me, like January, February. And the U.S. may have another bout with snowmageddon, especially in the eastern part of the United States. But this is all part of this climate hypothesis I've developed due to underwater volcanic activity. And I've gone over this a couple of times, and it's pretty hard to do it in a minute or two, so I'm not going to review it. But what we said over a month ago was that there was going to be a lot of damaging storms from the El Nino this year, the Gulf of Mexico up the East Coast, and we got another one coming. We already saw Florida blasted back on November 17th, or here comes the next one. But I also said, look out for the hurricane season from hell next hurricane season. That's already on my radar. And if you want to read about it, you go to weatherbell.com. It's not behind the paywall. And you can take a look at what I'm looking at with that. But none of this is part of man-made climate change. That's why I like getting out in front. Because if you look at the readings that I've been doing and actually look at what I've been writing about all this, you find that there is a reason behind it and it has nothing to do with CO2 emissions. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi, asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. I said, could she die? And the doctor said she could. It was so scary. When I started clawing at my neck and trying to breathe and I thought, you know, what are we gonna do if I die here? (laughs) 
how's everyone going to go on? When someone's gravely sick or injured in the bush, they rely on the Royal Flying Doctor service. But now the Flying Doctor needs your help to fund vital medical equipment and supplies. Please search Flying Doctor online to give a regular gift of just $10. You can help equip the Flying Doctor's teams to respond to any emergency anywhere. Search Flying Doctor online. Become a part of the Royal Flying Doctor service and help save lives in the bush. Talking about issues and coming up with solutions. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program. A point that Bernie Finn made out. Yes, those things we were talking about are racist. And people who use the term reverse racism, there is no reverse racism. There is only one of two things, either acknowledgement of racism or acknowledgement of the fact that it apparently only works in one direction, which reeks of agenda. It's more about agenda than anything else. And you have to ask yourself what anybody has to gain by that in a world where there is increasing division. We only get along. We only have better outcomes long term if we can all get along. And why they do the opposite while pretending to do otherwise, it's beyond me. If anyone could clear that up for me, I would absolutely love it. My next guest is a champion, is a hero, if you will, somebody who advocates for the rights of children, somebody who has written films and books about that, made films and written books about that, is uh, raising awareness. And raising awareness literally changes lives, saves lives, certainly makes for better outcomes in lives of children who may be in specifically uh, endangered circumstances, if you will. I am, of course, referring to Dee McLaughlin, who's recently put out a new book, and you can get that book, by the way. It's called The Child Protection Racket, and you can get it on the childprotectionracket.com website. Welcome, Dee, to the program. Thank you very much for, for having me, Dean. Well, thank you for doing what you do. I mean, if it wasn't for people such as yourself, all this stuff would go on in a clandestine manner. None of us would know, and these creeps who who do what they do would get away with it. And of course, by raising awareness, you make it very difficult for them to live and work in society. Well, let me just start out by saying that um, five years ago, I, I was completely oblivious of the industry that is the child removal, that that is the child removal's business. And um, it, I was oblivious, even though I was a well-researched um, uh, journalist and a well-researched filmmaker, because the star chamber-like children's courts across the country operate in complete secrecy. And we only, we only know of the very, very tip of a very big iceberg. And so the entire industry, it's a growth and it's a jobs and growth industry, is entirely enwrapped in secrecy. And anyone who violates that secrecy is punished duly. So it, it's a horrendous, a horrendous business. It really is horrendous. Um, you know, very much like with whistleblowers, people who do the right thing tend to be those who get in trouble, while those who do the wrong thing tend to have uh, a network around them who protect them. Yeah. It is it is beyond horrific. Um, I did mention that, you know, you've made some movies, not just one, you've made mm. eight movies, uh, to the best mm. of my knowledge. And, of course, there's something that you have a passion for. Um, you will, of course, be aware, I would imagine, of your work doing having carry-on effects where it's um, raised awareness to the point where surely it's it's saving lives, it's making better outcomes for children around the world. 
Well, yeah, I, I made a, a movie called The Jammed in 2007, which is about sex trafficking. And some of those were underage girls in Melbourne. And it was inspired by a true stories. In Melbourne? Yes. And wow. I thought that was going to change. And a whole lot of um, NGOs picked it up. It was screened at the United Nations. It was screened in Canberra. But very little changes um, the destiny of humanity's dark side. And so when, when I started learning about the child protection um, departments or the child protection racket, it's an absolute pure racket uh, in, the, in the sense that um, it's done for money. It's done with, uh, they are immune to prosecution and they do it on a grand scale. You know, 50,000 children are in yeah. out-of-home care. And I'd say tens of thousands, you know, it could be as much as 50% are, um, should not be, should not be under government care. The government is a, known to be a bad parent and children in government care are 20 times more likely to die, much more likely to be abused and sexually abused. And they don't get love in government care. And if they are given love, they're removed from that carer. You, and, and so it's a, it's a diabolical situation. They're harming tens of thousands of children every single year. It's really horrific. I mean, many of us would be aware it happens around the world. When you said Melbourne, I was taken aback. I, I thought it can't possibly be happening on a large scale here. There it is in Melbourne. Um, where are the where are they sourcing these children? Where are these children so, coming so from? Overseas? Let me go back. So the the children, what I'm talking about here is the child protection departments. So in the old days, it was you know if a child was in neglect. So maybe I should jump jump back three centuries. Maybe I should start off um, in the 1700s when Australia was paid to take children, disadvantaged children from Ireland and the UK and pretend they were, you know, some of them may have stolen something, but many of them didn't. And they were taken and uh, it was a child removal in place program um, in the 17 and, and 1800s. The year that ended, which was 1868, in 1869, guess what happened? Well, they passed new laws, and um, I can't remember the, 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 you know, the long, complicated laws, but it was the Aboriginals Act, and they started stealing children. For 100 years, they, they stole. Uh, they participated in the stolen generation. When that started to fade, they advertised foster care on a grand scale, and the, and the business of child removals, and in many cases it would be completely unlawful and unwarranted removal, so it's basically child stealing, has continued. And so today we have these courts that operate, uh, that are basically rubber stamping child removals on a mass scale. And the particular cases that I've worked on, um, we can demonstrate absolute malfeasance and misfeasance of police officers and social workers that are putting um, aggressively the child in harm's way. And there's not a single leader in the country that can do anything or that will do anything. The power of the social worker, 22-year-old social worker that has no children, no experience, is, has more power than the high court. And I'm not, a, not the only one saying that. Many lawyers and advocates say that as well.
your heart's got to go out to the parents of these kids who are yeah. having them take it taken out. And I would assume they can just make up any story they like. Um, something and Phil, I don't want you to speculate, but if you could give us a rough number, because you would have a better feel for it than most, um, with foster care at the moment, what percentage of foster care um, situations would you say are adverse? Well, I would say one has to look at an average of about 50%, I think, wow. that, that the child should not be in care. I mean, I've known so, I mean, obviously I'm only knowledgeable on the extreme scale. But the, the, what I've heard so often, a parent will come and say, and the parent can be a lawyer, and say, they've taken my child. What have I done? Uh, she might have reported something. Or we're dealing with a whole lot of young couples that have had, out of concern, they've taken a baby to the hospital. And the next moment, the police arrive and the social workers arrive and they are never going to get that baby back. And I have, you know, we know of, of corrupt doctors that are basically shipping these kids into um, uh, out-of-home care, into government state care. And it's a real worry because, you know, I've met so many of these lovely parents and they say, why are my kids gone when next door there are two drug-addicted parents and the police come around all the time, their kids are neglected, but they have their parents. So it's it's quite a random uh, a random thing. But we know of so many stories now, you know, the various advocates that are working in this field, that we know of so many stories that are so diabolical, they are unimaginable. And the suffering and the criminality is beyond anything you can imagine. And when we um, uh, try to take a social worker for um, uh, lying in her document, she was given witness immunity. So mm. you can't, you, you know, this is this is beyond anything that, uh, I mean, I, I've written to the Chief Justice in South Australia and I equated what is happening in, in his, in, in, in the children's courts there, the youth court there, equivalent to the Salem witch trials, nothing better. And we've said many times, because you know that, that that's the typical thing. You you will drown drown the alleged witch, and if she survives the drowning, she's burned. And if she drowns, you go, oh, sorry, it was a mistake anyway. The both end in death, and so it's a similar situation where. Um, they can accuse a parent on absolutely bogus claims, something that is can be impossible to um, find a legal basis, and they will take their children until 18 years old. So they're literally destroying the lives of children. And the, it's truly horrific because any parents listening, especially with all these huh. new misinformation and disinformation rules, they make up anything. Huh. You've already answered my next question, which is how long, and you said sometimes never will they get those kids back. It is mortifying beyond belief as a parent. I have run out of time. I've got to get to the news. But everybody, yep. that's Dee McLaughlin. Uh, she is an author and especially of a new book, The Child Protection Racket. You can get it on the web, thechildprotectionracket.com. I would strongly suggest that you do that. Dee McLaughlin, I thank you very much for your time and perhaps we can have a chat again soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Dean.
Absolute pleasure. Yeah, absolutely frightening what goes on in this world and you think your kids are safe and the government's going to keep you safe. Sometimes they can be the most prolific effectors, if you will, at all. Uh, we're going to be back after the news here at TNT Radio. Stick around.